I experience racism all the time though. Like, it ain't, like I would just tell people there's light showers of racism all through the entire yeah. United States. But like at the same time, I, like I think for growth, you gotta have the conversation. You gotta have the conversation. If you can't have the conversation, we can't grow from it. What's up, everyone? I'm Paul Rabel, pro athlete and co-founder of the Perennial Lacrosse League, and this is an all-new episode of Suiting Up Podcast. On today's show, I sit down with NFL great turned entrepreneur, now creative genius, Martellus Bennett. Marty tells me, and definitely more notably, Adweek, in an interview about his true passion, creative media and arts, where he was quoted saying, I've never really viewed myself as a football player, end quote. And that later landed him on Adweek's top 100 list. He's also the founder and CEO of the Imagination Agency, which we talk about. I also visited him there in Burbank, California, and we recorded this show. But before building that media empire, Marty was a king on the gridiron. We talk about his early career from high school to college to the NFL, even times where he faced racism as a player for the Green Bay Packers, to discussing the last couple of years of his career where he played in New England under Coach Belichick, of which he called a championship locker room immediately and undeniably. I really hope you enjoy this all-new episode of Suiting Up Podcast. Here's former NFL star turned entrepreneur, digital media savant, and creative artist, Martellus Bennett. Here we are, Burbank, Imagination Agency. I know, it's pretty cool, right? Yeah. You look, I asked you what, I asked you right away, I was like, you making a comeback? No comeback. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, just the, the strain of football, and I feel like I'm a better person without the sport. Yeah. It was a drain on, like, mentally, physically, not just physically, but, like, mentally, and just being in that space. It's just it's a weird thing. It's it's very difficult, isn't it? The NFL demands their athletes to do so much, and then there's also pressure around uh, that's coming from outside forces like ownership groups and coaches and GMs to perform or watch your back. It's probably like an all all day, all night. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Like the best luxury we can have is time. Time is the only luxury we have. Football eats up all your time. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're at the, I get to work at 6 o'clock. I'm there at 5, you know, go back to the family. Even though, obviously, you have to train. It's a year-round sport. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't just not train and not – because you lose a step, you know? So, it's like you're always working. It's something that's always going on. You got summer. They expect you to be there for OTAs, mini camps. Then you get, like, a couple of weeks off. Then you got training camp. Then you got the season. And then now, like, it's hard to have other interests because it's, it's downplayed as not being focused or into the game. And it's just kind of like – I got to the point where I just wanted to do – for me, I retired because <clears throat> I didn't love every part of it. Like, I enjoyed playing, but all the other shit was just kind of like, eh, I could do without this. You know what I'm saying? I want to do something that I just love every single part of. And you were stretched for time, too, because you, you liked doing agency work. You liked doing creative, filmmaking, photography. And what, what I tell people often, especially peers in sports, is lacrosse for a long time has been part-time. Yeah. So people are like, wow, you know – Paul, you do all this investing and do this other stuff, and, and I don't have to go in from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day and report to the coaches and train and do PT and do all the film work. That's the thing. You're never healthy in football. So, like, four hours out every day is four hours out every day is rehab. You know what I'm saying? You got your doctors. You got people. I had to fly. I, had my own, I collected my own doctors over the years. So, like, there was this guy that used to work on T.O., and then I met him with the Cowboys. So then I had him on my staff, and then I met other people through, like, Jay Ratliff and older guys, and then I just collected all those people and added them to my staff as I got older. And it was just, like, 
Tuesday, somebody flying in. Wednesday, someone's You would bring him in. in. You would invest in that? Yeah, I invest in my body. I mean, if you tell, like, I don't know. Like, I know some cats that don't get massages or anything. But if I told you right now, if you put, if you gave me 100 grand, if you gave me 100 grand, at the end of the year, I bring you back five to seven million dollars. Are you not going to put the 100 grand into it? 100%. That's just how I looked at the whole thing with football. Like, it's invested in your body. That is the office. That is your investment so that you could perform on the field. That was roughly the dollar. Amount you're yeah, putting some in. Year, some years it was a little bit more depending on damn you know, but it's, it could be anywhere from seventy five to a hundred and twenty five hundred fifty. Yeah, and and you're you were super introspective and cerebral around it too. We were before we started recording. I was telling you about my back pain over the past like year or so. L four, L five, L five, S one, and you were like equal and opposite force. Check out what's your lower abdominal? It's probably really tight. And I was like, yo, I had surgery on my lower rectus abdominals. You're like, that's the source. Yeah, and like you should. There's there's your next concept. You're that's, starting up a physio clinic. Well, I spend like having your own personal doctors and like in the house, and you spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. So instead of like just going to sleep or anything like that, I actually ask all the questions. So that way. If there's weeks where they can't make it, I could kind of do some corrective exercises and corrective movements. And, like, even now, like, if something's bothering me, say, like, I'll get knee pain, right? Like, sometimes my knee will start bothering me, but I won't work on my knee at all. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'll go straight to the bottom of my foot because yeah. I know that it's coming from my foot just because of just how the body's connected. And it's just always something else that's caused the, re- the pain just refers from another area. Do you think your curiosity is, is one of <clears throat> your strongest assets? Yeah, I don't. I never understand why motherfuckers say like curiosity killed a cat. Like I think everyone, <laughs> like that's the dumbest shit ever. That's like tell you not to be curious. That's like saying don't go search. Yeah, don't grow. Yeah, like don't curiosity. That's, I think it's one of the dumbest sayings like ever. Like uh, curiosity is a good thing. Be curious. I think curiosity is one of the greatest traits that like a kid could have. Like my daughter's curious about everything, and I like that about her. You know, since she asks so many questions, like what about this or what happens if this happens, and then I just try to be more like her. But I've always been a curious person. I always wanted to know more. They they do say that we stop asking questions as we start like gradually maturing into adulthood and leaving leaving that imagination from childhood around those questions behind us. Do you see that? Are you trying to? That's called being a douchebag. Yeah. Because you think you know everything. Yeah. Right. Like you start, and insecurities. Yeah. You start going through life and you feel like oh, there's nothing else life can teach me. Right, and I think that's a bad. I like to be like I'm surrounded by books. A lot of these books, and you uh, write children's books. Yeah, I could, like, I probably couldn't read all these books, but by being surrounded by these books, it makes me realize how much I don't know. Oh yeah, there's right hundreds of books behind us on this shelf. Did you install that shelf? Yeah, me and Tanya did. Yeah, yeah. did you 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 built out this whole agency area? Yeah, we did. I was trying to get us to do the podcast on the couch over there with all the stuffed stuff, animals. Yeah, I like stuffed animals. Yeah. All this stuff encourages your creativity? Is that why you surround yourself with a lot of this youthfulness and imaginative cartoon stuff? I think environment is important, especially as a creative. I think everyone needs a space where as soon as you walk in, it doesn't take you time to get there, right? Creativity to me is a muscle. And it's just like working out. A lot of people don't work out their creativity every day or they don't stretch their imagination. Like the more flexible your imagination is, the further you can stretch it, you know? So like every single day, creative exercises, it's no different from running sprints. It's no different from, you know, if I want to get longer distance, I run every single day. My wind gets better. And that's how it is with creativity. It's the same way. You do it every single day and it grows. That muscle grows and you're able to use it for longer periods of time. And before you know it, you you could create all day and on the spot. Yeah. Right. You just could get to the point where it's like, boom, I got it. Like, what do you need? Like someone could call me right now and be like, hey, I have this idea for something. I could I could just 
think of it right right away because my mind is already, I've trained my mind to be in that space all the time. Yeah. When we, you know, we're building a, a pro lacrosse league. We've talked about it before. I'm still trying to figure out a way to get the imagination agency involved. Yeah. But we've talked about a challenge in our sport is that it's known as a predominant white sport. Yeah, because it's expensive. Like, we always look at lacrosse as an expensive sport. And it's crazy because, like, in America, like, a lot of sports in our community, I'm growing up in a black community where sports where all you needed was, like, a ball and a Whatever. You can play football barefoot. Yeah. You can play basketball. All you soccer. have sneakers. You yeah. can find. But that's a crazy thing. In America, soccer is one of the most expensive sports. Because the club. club it's our club. Yeah. Right? It's not like you could just go. And But in third world countries, it's the cheapest thing. Everybody plays it because all they need is a ball. That's why it's a global language. Yeah. So, like, it's crazy because in our communities, a lot of kids don't grow up playing soccer because the get on a soccer team is all club. You got to pay. You got to do all these different things. So, it's like, for us, lacrosse was like that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like there's a lot of equipment you have to buy. You know, yeah. you sign up for a football team, they bring the equipment to you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? If they want you to play. So, like, a lot of it is how can you get equipment to kids to introduce them to the sport? That's, yeah. like, the biggest thing. And, and what about uh, culturally speaking, though? Like, how far behind and what can lacrosse do? Because there's one thing around access to the game. There's another thing around, like, if it is a, you know, if it's projected as this, like, you know, white collar Northeast preparatory school sport, even if a kid has interest in playing, uh, you know, from, you know, anywhere across the country, they may not have exposure to lacrosse. They may not feel as inclined to do that because they don't want to be associated with a sport that way. No, I don't think that's the thing. I think that it's like, if I'm growing up in Houston, if I want to play lacrosse, it's like, all right. I mean, but where, how, Yeah. with who? You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's eliminated because none of my friends are playing because they don't have access to it either. And I don't even have access to it. You know what I'm saying? So it's like how do I – it's more about – So you got to get equipment. You got to get coaches. You got to get fields and goals. The fields are there. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have some, – some, In some of those big markets – so you grew up in Houston. So some of those big markets, they'll, they'll reserve, whether it's even park or Parks and Rec or certainly high schools, they'll reserve those fields for like exclusively football and soccer, and they won't let lacrosse on in a sanctioned – uh, and like a sanctioned event, like a real practice. Um, I remember even even I grew up in Maryland. It was difficult to get access to the weight room at DeMatha. I went to school. It was like big basketball, football school. Yeah. So lacrosse is always the lowest priority to get to weight room access. But I don't know why they won't give people access to the weight room. Like, that's just stupid. Right? I think the biggest thing, too, like with people, I think, if you want to, uh, something to grow, first you got to make the introduction. Right? How do, we how do you introduce that to – how do you introduce – lacrosse to the urban community what is that like how do we do do we do small camps and we travel with it and then do we bring people out make it free so they have access to it bring bring um equipment so kids could get it i think there's Top a lot athletes of, yeah i think a lot of kids would be very good at it because a lot of guys that are good at football will be it's a it's close yeah right it's very close between the two the, the fast pace to fast twitch muscles the change of direction yeah it's like a lot of receivers and running Hogan. Yeah, Chris Hogan, does, you know, does year a good underneath job. me played college lacrosse against me. Yeah, yeah. Now he's a two-time Super Bowl champion. Yeah, right. So he and he's one of the best on the field. He's really good because he could change directions very well, stop on a dime. So he runs good routes, you know, and he's tough, right? I think there's, I think that you have to make the introduction, right? And then how do you put something in place where kids can have access to this, whether it's in gym, you know, whether it's and on the field where they could just go out and play together. I mean, it's. It's just about having, like, we don't have, like, people don't realize, like, we don't have access to a lot of things in our community. Like, we don't have access to, like, 
Like, there's not a lot of black film directors because we don't have access to cameras like that. We don't have access. Then we don't see ourselves, yeah. right? Like, there's like, like who would be like our like guy that we want to play like in lacrosse, right? Who's that star that looks like us, right? It would be Kyle Harrison, Miles <laughs> Jones, guys like that. So those are the guys you bring in. Yeah. So they could be like, look, Jim Brown. Jim Brown was the greatest lacrosse player of all time. The running back. You didn't know that. I did not know that at all. Yeah, and that's the story that we're gonna tell. It's it's, it's wild. And Jim lives right here. Um, know his wife Monique, and they've been they've been great. And they care a lot about the sport, and through their foundation, they actually give back in a similar way that the coach Belichick does. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, but it, they uh, he was the greatest lacrosse player of all time. Played at Syracuse. Famously said that uh, if if there was pro lacrosse around, he would he would have played that over football. Uh, just loves the game. That's crazy. Yeah. But I, I didn't know that. Like, yeah. that's something that... You got to educate. Education is the next thing. All right, how do you play lacrosse? What are the rules? Like, I have no idea. Like, I know you run around with the stick and you got the ball in there and you throw it in the net. Yep. Right? And then the shit looked like it hurt when the ball hit you and shit like that. <laughs> and then you got the high... Then you have to have really good eye-hand coordination, yep. too, to be able to catch the ball and throw it and spin, throw it backwards. The shit looks cool. Yep. You know, so I watch it sometimes, and I don't know what's going on. I'll be like, oh, shit. It's like, it's like when I first watched rugby. I don't know what the hell's going on in rugby. I know. So it's all about like that knowledge you introduce it to them on a younger, but you have to go grassroots, right? You don't start right. with high school kids. You start with middle school kids. And that takes like real work. And you always say that to people that you mentor, whether it's former NBA or NFL players, is like dreams free, but the, the work to accomplish that dream costs a lot. Yes, but also you have to have access to those dreams, right? Like seeing yourself is that gives you access to want to dream to be that. That's your point around filmmaking and it's everything, yeah. right? Like want to be a black president. Like that was like you have access to that dream because you have, as a kid, it's like all right. I'm, then you have to, if you have to be the first, that seems like a very long journey. Yep. Right, but if you see like oh he did it, I have access to that dream. I could dream that dream now. You know what I'm saying? I, at least that's how I feel. You know what I'm saying? So if you see. Certain people do certain things, you know, like, damn, that's possible for me, too. Yeah. So when you were uh, growing up in Houston with your brother, uh, how, what, was that, what was that like? Did you guys always want to play sports? You were playing basketball and football, but you, 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 were you, was your guys' dream to both play in the NFL? It probably wasn't. Nah, I mean, I was an NBA draft out of high school. I know. So, I mean, for me, I grew up, I just... I want to talk about that. Let's not jump to it, though. I, I was... Um, <laughs> it's wild. For me, in high school, I was... Um, not even high school... I was big, like growing up. I was a, I was a mathlete. I was like, honor, I'm an honor. I was always an honor roll student. So I look, I was first chair in band. You know what I'm saying? So I really love band. I really love music. I really love art. Instruments. I played the trombone, yeah. and um, I got to high school, and it was like, oh, we only have marching band, so you can't do. Sif we didn't have symphony. It's probably super helpful in your creative work when you're doing posts and you're adding music and you know how to like read music and. I love music. Feel the sounds. I, I, I do better at feeling the sounds now than actually make a, um, actually reading the music. I was doing a score for my last animated project with a friend, and only thing I could tell her is like, it's like it sounds like I would tell her like it sounds purple, and she was like, "What the fuck do you mean?" I was like, "It's a purple sound, like you know, what I'm saying, or it's a blue sound." Like I know it by like colors to me are equal to sounds in a certain way. Hmm. Like you know, I was like, "It's purple, purple, blue," and then she's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> then finally, once we figure out what was a purple for me, she's like, ah, yeah, this is this, this and that. And we was able to make the music. I just don't, I just always look at everything as in with colors. Huh. So you were a mathlete? Yeah, I was good too. And then, and then you went to Texas A&M? Yeah. Your brother went to Texas A&M. He's, he's two years older and still dominating. Yeah, he's, six, yeah, he's 16 months. 
We were 16 months apart. Oh, that's it. We were roommates in college. That's uh, it's like my brother and I. We're yeah. 18 months, yeah. He probably, did he play lacrosse? No, nah, he played football. Yeah. Yeah. It's cra- I mean, it's pretty much. But we played, we played, I should say, we played lacrosse in high school. Yeah. Together, but yeah. So you guys were roommates. Yeah. Legendary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you and could, then he went undrafted. Yeah. Now he's legendary. Yeah. <laughs> It's wild. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's a monster. I mean, it's crazy because he got we both got Super Bowl rings. Um, he still his thing is he's never been a guy that was going to test well, jump high. You know, you probably know people like this. He's not going to go in there and like wow you in the weight room or something like that. Like he's super strong, but like he's just a really good football player, he's a gamer. He, yes, that's it. Yeah, he like, just we, we I love those players. Yeah, like you can't like. You look at him and be like, damn, I don't know how he's able. Like, you feel like you're stronger than him. You can run faster than him. But on the field, he's faster than you. Yeah. He's quicker. He's smart. He's savvy. And I think that's what makes my brother, like, I th- I think that's what made him really good is that, like, he could just, like, he don't wear gloves. Like it's tough. Tape. Wears no pads. What is what is the deal? Where does he get those, like, miniature, or those lacrosse shoulder pads that he's I wearing? I mean, he tore his rotator cuff. He gets access cuff. To, to lacrosse equipment. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he tore his rotator cuff, and he was playing through a torn rotator cuff, so he couldn't raise his arm. So his shoulder pads kept getting smaller, and now he just got so used to not wearing them that it's Did he tough. have rotator cuff surgery? No, nah, I didn't either yet, though. Yeah, just forewent it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to need to get it in a couple of years, though. Yeah. I got five years until... Because I'm, when you get rotator cuff surgery, unless, like, you're Drew Brees and you defy the odds and come back, it, it's really, like, limiting. Yeah, I if mean... If you're a high-performing athlete. I mean, if you're a quarterback, I mean, as a right receiver or a defensive end, it doesn't really matter as much. Right. You know, yeah. as long as you got your strength or whatever. So, as long as you can lock out and be able to push people around. I still got full range of motion just because I keep everything around it strong. So you hear I'm very, click a lot? Not sometimes, yeah. When I don't do a lot of stuff, I can feel like it's super clicky, and my neck starts to hurt because, like, I guess just I just start to compensate yeah. for my shoulder. Yeah. So uh, f- easy to say that that Mike's one of the toughest players in the NFL. You said uh, Chris Hogan's tough too. Yeah, Mike's one of the smartest players in the NFL. One of the smartest and tough. How, how do you? De- uh, everyone's always trying to figure out how to define toughness on the field. How do you think about toughness through your creative brain? I mean, I think. I mean, as a player, tougher, you know, it's like, see, there's a difference between being tough and being stupid, too, hmm. right? Like, you could be tough if you could, like, there's a difference between being injured and hurt, right? Like, everyone's hurt, Yeah. right? Injury is a totally different thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. You got to get it fixed. Yeah, you got to get it fixed, right? And I played it against, so I've played hurt my, like, I tore my MCL on a Sunday and played in a Thursday night game. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've done, like, stupid shit. Like, I probably shouldn't have even done that. Yeah. Looking back say, at yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> looking back at it, I'm like, damn, Mark Gasol was out for uh, eight weeks with a torn MCL. But there's the the pressure in the NFL, uh, like that outside pressure that we were talking about when we started this this conversation is sometimes it's it's just subliminal, but you feel it. And it's almost like, hey, you can get on IR and then get waived before you know it. It puts this pressure that you should take a risk when you're injured. Yes, it is. Not and there's a lot of pressure. So, like, say my first time, my first time actually being like, look, I might need to get this shit fixed was with the Packers. And what they do, they cut me. Right? That was my first time ever being like, every, my entire career, I'm like, God damn, this shit just doesn't feel right. Like, I and need that was to get, more recently. Yeah, that was yeah. My, last, my last season. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm like, well, fuck, look, my shoulder, like, I think something is, I think it's worse than what we letting it be on, you know, letting it be 
leading to beyond, leading to whatever you want yeah. to call it, like letting it, letting it be. I'm like, I think this is is really bothering me. So I think I should get an MRI and I probably should get this fixed. And I just remember like the doctor was saying, he was like, um, he was like, yeah, you know, you could, you know, if you could finish up the season, you know, if you wanted to. But then I'm like, ah, but, but why? Like, you know, if I, like, it if can I really should get it compound, fixed, yeah. yeah, if I could fix it, like, what, is it going to make worse? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it, I'm going to tear my shoulder off? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you start to get scared because then you start thinking about life after, like, I can't pick up my, there's been times after games where I couldn't pick my daughter up. You know what I'm saying? Just because. Your cause, body was just aching. Yeah, body just fucked up. So, like, so then you have this conversation where he was like, well, if I, if I had a guy who's going to uh, Miami with his wife for, you know, and say he wanted to put the surgery off until next year, it was like November or some shit, we were having this conversation, put his surgery off till next year, I would tell him that he could, you know, and just come back and get the surgery. But I was like, yeah, but all that guy's going to be doing is fucking his wife and drinking margaritas. I've got to fucking pick up a 300-pound guy 20, 50 times in a game. Yeah. That's a totally different stress. I can't believe- I couldn't fathom that he was telling me this shit. Like, wait, what? You want me to do? I don't get it. Like, it don't even make sense to me. Like, this guy's going, yeah, he's not, he doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to stiff for nobody. He doesn't have to protect himself. He doesn't have to jump and catch the ball. He doesn't have to do anything. This is just a regular guy going to Miami for vacation for Christmas, which is even nice because you know he's rich. Yeah. Like, that's just a whole nice, that's a whole nice scenario you just painted for me. That doesn't have to do anything with my life. So, so you went on, you went on IR. They, they, uh, they cut you. Or? No, I thought they were gonna put me on IR. So, they was like, oh, just go see your doctors, and because I have my guys or wherever working. Then I go see my guys. You know, fly them in and get assessed. Or whatever. I go back to Chicago, and I'm getting all the and getting assessed for all that and getting that checked out. And then, you know, my guy was like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Like, you know, what I'm saying, then I show him the MRI because I got MRI and it was like worse than whatever when I first came in. And um, damn, it's just and, a reality. For and then athletes. I came back on a two. I came back on a, came back on a Monday. Like they played, you know, because I was in Chicago and I was flying around to see my doctors and stuff to like you know just double check everything. I came back and when I came into the building, everyone was surprised to see me. And I was just kind of like, why is everyone kind of surprised to see me? And then it was like, oh, you know, you could just go home or whatever, blah 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 blah. So then it was like kind of fishy to me then because I was like, oh, they're not. It's been like a week and a half, and they haven't put me on IR, which yeah. doesn't add up because I'm supposed to be on IR, right? Like my shit, yeah. fucking Eric Decker, like all the people who have torn rotator cups, like throughout yeah. the entire NFL, is like that's a injury you go on IR for, you know, for the most part, you know. So depending on how bad it is, yeah. And I'm like, damn, what like what makes me any different? So I get home, and then like one day I'm at home chilling. Smoking some weed for the pain, and um, I get a call, and it was like, "Oh, we're gonna have to let you go for. Uh, we're gonna waive you for um, failure to disclose." And I was like, "Failure to disclose what?" And it was like, "Oh, your shoulder injury." And I was like, "Wait, that doesn't even make sense." When I came in, y'all X-rayed me, checked me out, everything. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's my. You have access to all my medical records yeah. right there. Was that a way to get the, to to for them to like opt out of guarantees and contracts and stuff? That's what they're trying to do. Yeah. So, and I'm just, but, he, and then he was like, oh, is there anything that you want to say? So I'm like, well, first of all, it doesn't, it just all sounded fishy to me. So I was like, nah, you could talk to my lawyer and my agent. Yeah. And I just hung up the phone. Yeah. Because I felt like they were trying to get me to say something to incriminate myself in some type of way for something. Yeah. But then, so Damn. what I did was I just went and got a notebook and I wrote down the entire incident from my signing 
to that day and I wrote it all down in a notebook and a piece of paper. I still have it here right now. And I'm just right. this is on March 10th, I flew into Green Bay. This is what happened. This is the doctor. This is what who said every time I went to the training room, what was said, what was done. I have all that have all that um written down. And, and did you end up using that evidence or no? Yeah, they tried to they tried to sue me for my signing bonus, but I, I won the case though. You did. Yeah. yeah. Damn. So. That in uh in Green Bay, there was also a lot of pushback uh because of your support for Colin Kaepernick and taking a knee and being black in Green Bay is like being a chupacabra. <laughs> 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 it's not it's just not it's not a black place. Wisconsin is the most racist place in one of the most racist states in America. Yeah. I mean if you just look What was at, that like? The fuck like I, for me, I I felt it, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Because I was one of the few guys that's like, even if I put my fist up, like I had a, like before we played Seattle, I think it was the first game of the season, all right? And my brother was on the other side. And the security came to me and he was just like, <clears throat> the security guy of the team he came to me, he was like, hey, what are you, what's your plans for the game? I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I mean, I'm about to just go out here and try the ball. Yeah. Right? And this is why I knew shit was going to go downhill from here. Damn. That was like, oh, what's your plan for before the game? And I was just like, I don't have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, oh, with your brother, like, are you taking a knee? Are you doing something? You know, we've been getting we've been getting a lot of calls calls from people. Like, people's calling, like, you know, saying all kinds of shit about me. Like, I'll be in, out there, they'd be like, nigga, you fucking suck. Get the fuck out of the state. You know, like all kinds of racist shit. Like people in the stadium, in the stadium. My wife is sitting there; she can hear him, right? You know what I'm saying? So she's sitting there, and it's just like everybody's like, "Oh, why do you think it's?" I mean, he was like, "Oh, well, you know, we have this. You know, if you want to, I think it'd be a good look if you kind of rent, you know, kind of went with the police and kind of like arms with the police or something like that." Blah 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 blah. And I was just like, "Ah, I'm really fucking with them like that." You know what I'm saying? Because my brother had just went through that incident in Vegas. So that's right. And then he was just like, "Well." You know, if there's whatever we could do, you know, just let us know. You know, we just want to make it as easy as possible for you to be here. Right. And then before that game, I, I was like, I don't really know if I'm going to do anything. You know what I'm saying? But then I ended up raising a fist. And it was like, like, people were so pissed off about that. Like, Why, even yeah. leaving the game after the game, it was just like, like oh, you fucking, like, you know. So I was just kind of like. Dude, and I going, think, going back to the educational point, do you think people just don't know the origin of that? Like 1968 Olympics game, Olympic Games, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, and and even and even Peter Norman, who was uh, the Australian second place runner, he was showing support. He was a white dude showing yeah. support in a human rights badge. I just think that. I just think that like in a place like Wisconsin, a place like Wisconsin, just overall, just like. They just can't relate, right? They don't feel like they see racism because they don't have everyone that is around them looks like them, right? So they don't think about they don't have to think about they don't have to think about things the way that we think about things. They, oh, that that don't happen. I'm saying like they try to be naive about it. Like white folks don't like to talk about racism. Like they don't like to talk about the inequalities that like other people besides themselves are going through. You know what I'm saying? Like why do you think that is? Because you think you think it's 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 in in part like admission of of guilt and like vulnerability around like hey you know my my beliefs may be sound and where i feel equality uh needs to be but my ancestors or you yeah. know were or their ancestors were oppressors yeah but people like people are like oh i'm not racist i have i have black friends uh -huh. yeah I know serial killers that have friends. They're still killers. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, like that's not like it's not a thing. I just think that like 
<laughs> it's just it's just kind of <laughs> for me. I, I I mean I don't really get it as for a certain to a certain point, but at the same time I'm like, well. Yes, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable. And people don't want to be vulnerable. And talk about racism makes you it's uncomfortable. Hard. It's hard right? to do it as, as a white person. Yeah, nobody wants to be uncomfortable. Like this, like this conversation can make you uncomfortable right now just talking about like, well, this, this, and that. I experience racism all the time, though. Like, like I always just tell people there's light showers of racism all through the entire yeah. United States. But like at the same time, I, like, I think for growth, you got to have the conversation. Got to have the conversation. If you can't have the conversation, we can't grow from it. How did you uh, How did you know that you wanted to be in the creative field? I mean, we talked about when you were younger in music, and then we didn't come back to the NBA draft. But did you ever think about jumping over to the NBA draft while you were playing in the NFL, or Dude, going not to draft, going back to the NBA? I thought about going try to try out the year of the lockout because you played you played at Texas A and M. Both you were a letter winner for both basketball and football. Yeah, but it was tough at Texas A and M because I were played you better than Julius Peppers. No, I mean, his basketball career in college was probably better than mine. Because was I, it was dope. weird for me because I played guard and tight end. So I'll put on 30 pounds my freshman year, then I'd go try to play guard in you basketball. guard? Yeah, high school. So you were like I magic. I was like a what are you, I was six, like seven? Dwayne Wade. 6'7"? How tall are you? I was 6'6", six, six, 241 in high school. But Dwayne Wade was like, I was like that. Well, I played outside, you know, I could bring the ball up the court. Like I didn't, yeah. you know, I could play with the ball without the ball. Yeah, I never Pep, play. Pep played in the post. Yeah, so if I grew up playing in the post – and then I came from football. It probably been more successful in college. But then, like trying to lose weight to be a guard and trying to learn how to play my back to the basket at, you yeah. know, that twenty was just kind of tough. In Division one ball. Yeah, it's like I gotta stick difficult. with what I know. You know what I'm saying? So that was tough. And then our style of basketball wasn't for me either. At AM? Yeah. So when you thought about during the lockout jumping back, it was just kind of like, hey, this is this is a big this is a big choice. Yeah, I mean, I was playing. I played basketball like as I got older, I got even better because I just got smarter. You know, I was stronger, and I just had a real good basketball IQ. And I would play in the summers, and I played against NBA guys in the summers, and I bust their ass. Yeah. You know, they hated it, too. Out, like, I, out here, out west? Not just in wherever, like yeah. in different yeah. tournaments and stuff <laughs> like that. And they used to get mad because I used to be like, oh, I should play in the NBA. And it's like, I remember LaMarcus Aldridge telling me sometimes, like, I don't think I could play in the NFL. Like, that's just crazy. I was like, yeah, but you're like 620. Like, yeah. how the fuck you going to play? In, what position you going to play? You got legs this big. Like, don't get mad at me because I'm athletic. You know what I'm saying? So, um, You think it would be an easier transition for an NBA player to play in the NFL than an NFL player to play in the NBA? No, I don't think that, I don't think there's too many in a NBA players. I think there's more NFL players that could play in the NBA and be, and be successful Damn. in the NBA than there are NBA players that could come to the NFL and be successful. I think if, you, if you're like in a, in, in a skill, like a heavy skill position in football, like quarterback or something, for example, like the transition is impossible. But I, I think basketball, I mean, I, I grew up playing hoops too. Basketball is, is so technical. Yeah. Uh, and with football, I mean, Bill's notorious for it, right? Like he turned Chris Hogan. Uh, but Hogan played football too, though. In high school. Yeah. A little bit, but everyone plays high school football. I mean, but he was a, a good recruit in football. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then he, he didn't play that many years. Because his last year, he ended up playing football in college too. Yeah. So I didn't know. I didn't know. I guess I just didn't know there was that he, much NFL talent that had handles and could shoot well. Because because you know in the I NBA could, those guys like they miss during games, but during practice they make teams because they don't miss. Well, this is what I'm saying. Right now, I could go through the NFL rosters and take 12 guys, right? And if you give us a couple months of practice in basketball, we could go and be competitive in the NBA. Yeah. 
Was your best, uh, I mean, you guys won a Super Bowl, but you, you have the most fun? You enjoyed your career the most in New England with the Patriots? or? Yeah, fun. I mean, yeah. I mean, I love New York. When I played for the Giants, that yeah. was really fun. That was my first year as like a full-time starter. So, What, what would you say, given the, the run that the Patriots have had, uh, just under Bill's leadership, what, what, does he do things that are just so much different? Yeah, when I think of when I think of Bill, I think of like Steve Jobs, Bob Iger, you know, like guys that built, you know, you know, perennial businesses. Yeah, you know, yeah. the guys that like John Lasseter, when those guys was at Pixar, Ed Catmill, all those guys over at Pixar, like they built a, a rhythm, a, a formula for winning. Right, and they just continue to plug in that formula, and it works. It's just why it is. A lot of cultures like they change things, and they try to adapt. They try to adopt things from other places. You've seen cultures do it, like, oh, this works for over here. We should try this, or let's try this. This is worth it. Everyone try to be like someone else that's winning instead of creating their own winning formula. Mm -hmm. And there's things that people do that are part of a winning formula. There's like some things that's going to be in everybody's process that's a winner. But like, you can't just go and try to steal someone's whole style. To yeah. be a winner, like you got to figure out. Yeah, you got because, and then people are not going to buy into it. Did you? Because you feel the the vibe of that team. That, as soon as like, you walk we, in, as soon as you walk in, you're like, we're going to be in the playoffs and probably oh. be in an AFC championship, maybe a Super Bowl. Oh, the playoffs is not even a. It's not even a conversation. <laughs> no, like everyone else is. Like it's, that's one of the few teams that's actually Super Bowl or bust. Yeah. Right, like we won the AFC championship and no one was excited but me. Yeah. Everyone else was like walking around shaking hands like this, and I'm like, "Yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl! I can't fucking wait!" Yeah. Like every, I'm running around dancing with cheerleaders and shit, and everyone else is just kind of like, "The fuck is wrong with this guy?" Like this is this is what we do in New England, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I think I think what it is, you built a, it's a brand, it's a it's an idea, and when people buy into the idea, and because they know it works, like. There's coaches that try to do stuff Bill Belichick's way or other teams, but it don't work for you because some of that shit's dumb. Yeah. Like, why the fuck would I want to do that? And, and, and then if we lose, it's even dumber. If we win it, you'd be like, well, fuck, at least we win it doing this shit. You know what I'm saying? You losing it doing that shit, you'd be like, ah. yeah. Because you haven't won no championships, you know. What, what, what are some of like, the dumb things? Just the, I like, say how routinized it is? No, I wouldn't say that it was like, dumb, but like, like we ran the hill every day after practice. Until we got uh, even a week of the Super Bowl. Just run hills. Yeah. Yeah. And then after Probably the, like more disciplinarian and But then at process. the end of the Super Bowl, we down 28-3, to three, right? We ran 107 plays. They ran 48, right? And everybody after the um, practice, Bill, after the game, Bill was like, I guess those hill sprints paid off. That's what he said. And you kind of like, well, was it the hill sprints? Or you don't know. Like, you don't know if it was the extra hill sprints or whatever. We'll have to run a lot of them. But at the end of the day, you're like, well, fuck, like I'll do the hill sprints because this is why we do the hill sprints for moments like this in games. Mental edge. It's a mental edge. Well, a mental edge. Like, yeah, it's a, it could be a placebo or not. Yes, you don't, you don't know. So, like, one thing he did a good job, too, he'll turn the team against him, which would bring the team together. Hmm. Right, he don't mind if like everyone's like, fuck it, fuck you, Bill. Like, like we back, like everyone's like, we will prove this motherfucker wrong. Like, we will try to prove him wrong. You know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah, those type of moments and things like that that he built into the. He would instigate. He would instigate those moments. What was halftime like of that game? Was it, I mean, that, that was like, was that quite, was tied for the biggest comeback in all of NFL history, no matter the game. And it was in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. I mean, it was quiet. It was quiet. It was just like focused. Nobody was like, I didn't see anybody lose hope. 
Like, I was interested in knowing because this was my first year on the team, and we only lost two games. One of those was on a last-minute play against Seattle, which is something you could live with because it was a really good game against a really good team. Yeah. And it wasn't like you go out there and get blown out or anything like that. It was like one of those games you was like – Everyone like you happy with game. the it was, yeah. like, you know you play those games where yeah. you might lose but you like damn that was a yeah. I enjoyed that game a lot you know what I'm saying like I just want like you want to go it's back crazy. at them I've like, only I, had a few of those in my we, career where yeah. you lose and you're like damn that was a great game yeah you I don't know what it is but you're not like mad just, yeah two heavyweights just throwing punches yes and that's how the Seattle game was so we had that game and and that was the only game we lost with Tom the other game we lost to the Buffalo Bills which was like it was just a bad day for yeah. us and like you know a quarterback had a fucked up thumb he was in the third quarterback. And uh, Jacoby wasn't, like, you know, he couldn't really do a lot of different things, and we lost that game. But other than that, we, like, adverse adverse situations, I didn't really see any of them the way that we had in a Super Bowl. So it was, like, the first time, like, we've really been hit in the mouth. Like, we have games where it's like, oh, this is a close game. We've got to make some plays. Yeah. But <clears throat> 28 to 3. So we go in, and it's hot to the motherfucker. And um, I get in the locker room, and I'm kind of looking around at everybody. You know, everyone's kind of like, I'm like, all right, what's going to – like, I'm literally like, all right, what's the fuck is going to happen? Like, I've been – I've lost a lot of games. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I've never been – I've been in the playoff one time in 10 years. Yeah. So, like, I knew how to play when it keep, when you're losing, right? Like, I've done it my entire yep. career. <laughs> yep. Like, that's not hard. It's not hard for me to play hard when the game's – when we're down. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. Like, oh, whatever. Let's keep playing. Get your stats. Get some plays. Like, you know, yeah. at least I always think if we're going to lose, I want motherfuckers to know that they played against me. Right. They'd be like, man, we beat them. But that fucking Martellus was a fucking bitch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I kind of like that type of that type of vibe about my game on the field. But we come in the locker room and, you know, we kind of like we practiced. We practiced the locker room like we practiced the halftime. So like we had to practice, you know, and then we'll go. We actually ran to the locker room because it was such a it was such a long halftime at the Super Bowl. It's like thirty minutes, right? Thirty five minutes. Yeah, and if you had never been in it, it's different. And the whole thing is like we coached you up. Like, all right, five minutes, you guys are going to do this. You're going then this other five minutes, three minutes, you have to yourself. Then we'll have to go with the coach. So we kind of knew exactly what was going on in the locker. I've never seen anybody practice the locker room. Practice halftime. Yeah, we did it. We did it at least twice. Amazing. Right. So like, so we were prepared for halftime. <laughs> Right? <laughs> this is so good. No, we're like, we prepare for everything. Everything. Parents, friends come oh. in to watch. They all have their buses, their transportation. He yes. eliminates all distractions. Yes. Make them call. This is the number they need to call. We go through all that stuff. We go through our schedule as a group, as a team. Like, hey, this is what we're going to do this day. You have this amount of time to yourself. If you want to have, like, this is the best day to go to dinner with your families. These yep. days right here, practice is going to be like this. Make sure you don't eat shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Everything was kind of like they kind of give you a roadmap for everything. You could just kind of plug in yourself on that. Damn, practiced halftime. So yeah, we practiced halftime. So we come in halftime, and it's kind of like, all right, we knew everything was going in. First couple of minutes, we had to ourselves. You know what I'm saying? So taking off your pads because it's a long thing. You know, take off your pads. You know, you got your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I love the EPB and J and oranges at halftime, and like Edelman's next to me, and like um, 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 James Devlin is next to me, and. Um, so I sit down, and I'm just kind of like, well, damn, I'm looking around, like, all right, like, nobody, everyone was just kind of, like, focused on themselves, like, in the in the locker, like, all right, what, I could tell that everyone was thinking, like, what could I do, right, what could I do to be the difference in the game, like, no one, no one came in and be like, you need to fucking do this, or this your fucking fault, or you motherfuckers, we got to step up, coaches didn't do it, players didn't do it, 
It was just like, look, we're down 28 to 3. And then coaches would come in, hey, Marty, what you see? I see this, blah, 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 blah. That's the other thing that those coaches did well. If they trust, if you, sh- if you show them your knowledge of the game and you tell them something, they trusted you and will call the play for you. You know what I'm saying? Mm. But you will lose their trust if you tell them some shit that's not happening yep. when they look at the tape. So, like, if you be like, hey, coach, they're doing this or they're playing man-to-man in this situation or I like I like these routes, you know, this type of thing, and they'll go by and they try to plug those things in. That's so for great. You. <clears throat> a lot of coaches won't do that. Nah. A lot of coaches won't. Like, you'll talk to well, them. Because in a way, it, it, it takes – it gives the power to the player and it, and it kind of nullifies their job, which is to make the right play calls. But they understand that, like, especially at the professional level – like it is in your best interest to ask these athletes what they're seeing because they're professionals too. Yeah. It changes. That's why there are very few good pro coaches and why there's such a big gap between a college football coach, say, making at the professional level. Yeah. So you got to coach more in college and in high school because you're doing a lot more teaching and then you're doing more collaborating at the pro yeah. level. And you're teaching boys. Yeah. You're dealing with men now. Yeah. Right? I think a lot of coaches, like, they come in from college and they try to talk to players like they're boys. Like, I'm a grown ass man. I got kids. Like shit. Like yeah. the fuck you. I got four hundred one k. What the fuck you talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> we need to get your shit together. So we come in at halftime. We're chilling, and then so we go over the plays, the accident things. They're drawing up some stuff. Tom will come like, hey, any, anything that you see or whatever. And they'll come to me, and they was like, hey, <clears throat> they get a lot of pressure. We want to tighten down on the inside, so we're gonna need you a chip a lot more in the second half. And the one thing about it, as a player, as a tight end, they play man to man. You don't want to chip. Because you can't get as hard to get open because all you run is a flat route after that's you right. chip. So I'm like, all right, that's what you need me to do. Who gives a fuck who's catching the ball in the Super Bowl? The ultimate goal is to win the fucking Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Like we all win at the end of this game. Like during the season, like you want to pass. I think that's why a lot of teams struggle in the playoffs because a lot of guys still want to get their stats instead yeah. of just win the game. And, and it, what's crazy, I, I we've said this before, but stats at the professional level is way different than stats in college and high school because players are getting paid significant bonuses for getting stats. So it's kind of fucked up and bestowed on the responsibility bestowed on the, on the organization for incentivizing all these players on catches and yards and touchdowns and then asking them to be selfless. Yeah. Every foot, every football player. It's an insane catch 22. Every football player I met met is ever met is selfish. Yeah. Right. You have to be. Well, yeah, yeah. You can't make it to this level and not be selfish. Yeah. You can't not want to be the one to get the sack. You can't not want to be the one to get all the glory. You can't. That's for the best players. Yeah. But the, some players like, <clears throat> like Julian Edelman to me, like I love Julian. Julian was, he's such a team guy, but like in a way where he was so selfish of being great by himself that he would give you the best block possible. Right, because it was good when he does the block. Yeah. Right, like that's like the mentality of like some guys where it's just like I'm gonna make this block. Oh, you want me to make this block? Nobody's gonna make this block yeah. better than I can. And remember that block. Yeah. And remember yeah. it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like when you come to foot and they circle it on the tape and, it, and footage when we watch a film or whatever, it makes you feel good. Like damn, you had ten catches, but yeah, but look at these five blocks he threw in this game. Yeah. And that's just crazy, you know what I'm saying? So we go, so we're in there. So coaches come in, they start talking, and they're going over adjustments. And, you know, Brady's like, we need to pick up the pace, you know, all these different things. And and coaches, Belichick says a couple things. So by this time, you know, whoever, Lady Gaga is done performing. <laughs> so we stand up, like putting our shoes on, getting dressed. It's like super calm. And Julian Edelman said, this is the only thing I remember being said before we left the tunnel. Bill's like, all right, guys, here we go. Like, let's get ready to go back out there. And we got ready to break it up. Julian Edelman said, we got 30 minutes. We got 30 minutes to make a difference. 
and those and we just it was just some shit like that and we just went out after that it was just kind of like i was so focused that like they asked me to chip i was giving the best like and the other thing everyone said just do your job yeah so the focus was on like do what i'm supposed to do i ain't got to worry about anybody else when they call my number be ready so like i was chipping the fuck out of people my helmet got stuck together with the white freenies in the middle of the game from yeah. like us hitting each other like it was to the point where i was chipping so like i, I looked down and dwight here just shake his head he's like you chipping but like, yeah i'm chipping and they'll start doing stunts and usually when you do stunts as a tight end you just get out i would wait for the guy that's stunting to chip him yeah and then get out after that so there's points where I didn't even know who had the ball or what happened on the play because I was just so focused on so my focused. job. Yeah, and I was so tired. Like, that was my first time when they went, like, like 10 personnel, and I was happy. So the tight end comes out the game, and I was like, thank fucking God for that <laughs> shit. <laughs> you think that uh, that supreme focus – sounds like that was, that was like, peak experience. And, and that flow state is, like, that hyper-focus. I've never been that focused in a football game. Yeah. You that, are you that focused in, in your work? I, it's easier for me to get lost – yeah, and creativity than it is for me to get lost in a football game, right? Because the football game, there's so many different variables going on. You know, say I'm running routes. You know, you're not getting the ball. You're not doing different things. Coach yeah. is calling plays. You defense know, you, can be on the field. Defense for on the field. Minutes, like yeah. even when the defense was on the field, it was still like, all right, what's going on? What did I see? How can we go make it changes? Things like that. So it was like my first time. Like, and I think it's probably like this for most players. You know, like you hyper focus when you're playing, like when you're on. But like even then, like. To wait to chip on a like a T stunt, you know what I'm saying? E T stunt is like it's like no tight end would do that. Because we want the ball. Yeah. Right. I'm like, if I'm not getting the ball, like fuck it, I'll just block my ass off. But there was plays that I made what Tom called me after the game, and there was this play where he got hit. Nobody talks about this play because Julian made this other catch before it hit the ground. Yeah. But there's this other play that happened that I swear we would have lost the, the game if I didn't make this play. Like I was on a I was on the right side of – I was to our right side of the field, like on a little stutter route or whatever, and Tom was throwing the ball deep, and he got hit when he threw it, and the ball was like straight up in the air, and like two or three Falcon defenders were waiting for the ball, and I just – for some reason, I was like, fuck it. Ha! I ran all over there and went and caught the ball. Yeah. Like I went and got it. But if they would have picked that off, that would just change the momentum of the oh, game because we was having a good drive. Yeah. But Tom was like, man, he's like – He's like, I don't know how the fuck you did that. And I was like, I don't know how I did it either. But I was just like, I was just trying to do everything I could to win the game. Yeah. And the defense was the same way. Like, they were making mental mistakes. We weren't making mental mistakes. Crazy. And I looked over there. That sideline, the owner was down. Two chains was on the sideline. It was like, like, you know, it was just a lot going on over there. And our whole sideline was just like a bunch of motherfuckers just like, all right, like, just plug away, plug away, keep yeah. chipping, keep chipping, keep chipping, keep chipping. Do you was, ever get that sense of – uh of like fulfillment on on your work that you do here and reflection? I, well, I didn't feel fulfilled after the Super Bowl. Why not? It's just like that winning, it was just kind of like, this is it? Like, Yeah, it's the process that, that gets you most. The process, I mean, the process like, was, the process of the game was, like I love preparing for the game more than I love to play the game. Winning it, winning is anticlimactic. That's it's, why, like Larry Bird and and a lot of the like the all time greats in sports would say they they uh, they just hated losing because the winning actually wasn't all that great. Yeah. The losing, if you were to weigh the two, was so much more painful. I agree. And stuck around, and then winning, you're like, okay, we won. Yeah. I mean, when out for me, it's just like I didn't feel fulfilled. I thought that I was gonna feel like I was on top of the world. My brother told me how he felt. And I was just like, damn, well, shit. Like, after we, to go to the Super Bowl, 
winning that game, like I was like, oh, I was on cloud nine. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I was, I was emotional about winning this because I won in my hometown. So I started thinking about like how far I came, where I started, and then where I am today. But like, I, I get more fulfillment out of my creative work than I ever got out of playing any sport. Next project for you? Still figuring that out? Well. I, I mean, I've been experimenting with different things. I've done the children's books. I did the interactive apps, and I did the films and shit. I feel like people don't get my respect as a creative and leading away because I, I, I actually do a – I'm actually very good at what I do. But I, I think the whole idea of being an athlete kind of have, makes people look at it with a side eye, if they make if that makes sense. Like, like people don't really look at me as a, the creative that I am. Like, I'd rather people – I'd rather die being remembered as a creative than I ever than ever being remembered as an athlete, right? I'd rather be I'd rather people know my characters and things that I make than to know me as a person, mm-hmm. right? Like those are the stars, like the, these characters in these books and things that I make. Those are the superstars, and those are the people. Like I never want to be famous, but I want my characters to be famous, mm-hmm. right? You know, I want people to be like, oh man, such as you know, AJ was so awesome. I grew up watching her. Like she's my favorite dressing up as AJ on Halloween and you know I don't care if anyone buys my jersey or never have or like you know I think that's part of the process I never really cared about selling jerseys and things like that but like when kids are like buying t-shirts that my characters wear like to me that's more powerful like that's a bigger impact so right now I've been dabbling in lots of different things and I think I want to start making games like I've really been a big fan of Nintendo for a really long time and yeah it's a huge business yeah so I've been designing a, a little game. So that's what I'm kind of working on right Let's now. Let's do a lacrosse my, game together. I mean, that would be tight. I mean, but then the market, it, it, you know, who's like that's another thing too. Like if there's a little cross game and people play like FIFA, soccer's growing a lot because a lot of people like to play FIFA. That's me. Yeah. I, I learned about global soccer from the video game when I was in high school and college. Yeah. Because it's it's a totally different uh, season, right? Yeah. They, they play it on a points table with no playoffs. Yes, I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? I have no. And then, and then, and then you have you know different seasons per country, and then the top four of the t- of their table in their country kind of can join and play in the UEFA Champions League, and so you you get educated back to yeah. like that that first point we were talking about on this podcast. So you <laughs> get exposure, you get educated. Video games are so powerful. That's how we got into um, tennis. Me and my brother used to play. T- we used to play tennis. We were really good at tennis. And what happened was Dreamcast came out, and one of the top games was Virtue Tennis. Yeah. And we would just play that on a Dreamcast in the neighborhood. One of our neighbors had it. We would just go by their house and play. Then they went to us getting rackets and us playing tennis, like, in the middle of the summer, just, like, for hours. Yeah. Like, we would just be playing tennis for hours. Like, fuck you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. intense. Did you get good at it? Yeah, we got really good. Did you intern at Dreamcast? No, I never did. Yeah. You interned at Nickelodeon? and I've been to Nickelodeon. I was Shadows at Nickelodeon. While I- you were playing, right? Yeah. Taking internships and stuff. Yeah, I was trying to shadow as many people as possible. Like, I just want to learn. You know, like, I realize, like, there's so much I don't know. But I also understand not knowing is what makes me powerful in the space of what I'm doing, too. Because I haven't been, like, I don't know. You, and you can't, can imagine. Yeah, I don't know that you can't do that. Like, no one told me, that, like, oh, like, you shouldn't do that. Or that's so hard to do. I'm like, well, fuck, if they could do it. Like, if Nintendo could make a really good game, then why can't I? You know what I'm saying? Like, what makes them any different? For me, I understand they've been doing it for years, but I'll just study all the Nintendo games that I love and things. I Then I'll go, I study things to see what I love about it and what I don't like about it. Like, what would I change, right? Then I read comments on the games to see what other people would change, 
right? Like, oh shit, you know, a lot of people like this or want this or want more of that or or what did they love? They love this, they love this. And you'll see there's like certain points that the people really love about games, you know what I'm saying? And what I want to do is I want to create escapism for kids of color, right? That's not my biggest thing. Like this whole company is built on the idea of escapism, right? Like, so kids could go visit these other worlds, these imaginative, fictitious worlds that I create because once you visit other worlds, you realize that your world doesn't have to be the way that it is, which means that you could change your world. And I think for us as kids of color, we don't get a lot of that. All of our movies and stuff are like harsh realities. We get like Boys in the Hood or we get like, you know, Juice, you know, Remember the Titans, shit that we actually really go through. Like that's why I think Black Panther, the escapism of actually like people like, like I have, like I've seen people tell kids like, oh, Wakanda's not a real place, you know what I'm saying? But no, you'll never tell a kid that Hogwarts isn't a real place, hmm. right? So why shoot down these kids of color's hmm. idea of like- Or Winterfell. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you know, so like why shoot that idea down of them being able to escape to a place like Wakanda where they cause they may create a real Wakanda in the world right now. They may create a place that's full of tech and great ideas and you know, that's way, way forward, you know, forward thinkers. So I think escapism is a huge thing. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, appreciate you taking the time. You're doing some really great work and uh recounting a lot of those memories i, I know it's uh you, you you especially as a as a big time athlete you've sat through a million of them uh so just going through that in that level of granularity was pretty cool oh man thanks i have so many stories to tell from sports i mean i everybody always think i think that sports are bad for kids i don't think that sports are bad for kids i think you learn so much being on a team dealing with people who aren't like you from different places to like governing work the locker ethic, room, work yeah. ethic and counting on someone else who's counting on you being accountable like there's so many different things i just want kids to realize that sports aren't the only thing right you get that same accountability and make it animation like there's like it's a like animation is so much like a football team. You have your quarterback, you have your offensive lineman. You know they're doing the animation, they're doing the story writers, and you're working with a group of people. And I think sports is a first intro to working with a group of people at a young age. Yeah, I remember D. Smith saying that to me. He was he tells his athletes that uh, football is what you do; it doesn't define you. Yes. It's not who you are. But a lot of guys will start suffering for identity crisis because yep. it becomes their identity. Because from a young age. That's what you know known as. That's how it was for me in lacrosse for yeah. most of my 20s. Yeah. but you I finally were, broke out of it. Yeah, because you were such a beast, but you had to go extra hard to break out of it. Yeah, it, was, it sucked. And it, it takes time. Yep, therapy. Yeah. Crying. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm still, like, I've made so much shit, like, and I still can't, people are always like, oh, former NFL player. I'm like, I could be, you couldn't say former anime. Like, I've made movies. I've made all kinds. Of, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't really. Who's your favorite, who's your favorite brand? I, I don't want to put you on that spot, but who are some of your, the brands that you liked working with? Brands I like working with? Yeah, I really creative. love I really love Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, I love Google. Yeah. I like Google. Um, um, Those are existing clients, right? Yeah. I mean, I've done stuff like with them. I, I want to work with Crayola. You know That's what I'm cool. saying? I did something with Play-Doh. I like to do, I want to do something with Nerf. How do you get in touch with those groups? You just reach out to them? Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. I cold call people. Yeah, and I so speak. do I. Another thing I tell guys to do is speak I followed you on Twitter for three years before you finally followed me back. <laughs> <laughs> I tell, That's crazy. I tell guys to do more panels. Yeah. Like we speak, spoke on that one together. Yeah, like you speak on panel, panels, you meet so many different people that's in the crowd that you don't know that you can share your story with. Like, if you can speak on panels, like, I think that's a good way to start separating yourself into another world because then you have to be able to articulate what you're doing and people understand like, oh, this guy's for real. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, and that's like the whole thing. Like, how do I show people like, nah, this is, 
creativity is this is who I am. This is at the core of me. I just play like no one had to teach me how to create. I had to learn how to play sports. A big second thank you to the big man, Marty Bennett. Appreciate your honesty and vulnerability, brother. If you want more of Marty on the daily, give him a follow on Twitter. It's at MartySaurusRex. You can also continue the conversation with me on Twitter at Paul Rabel and be the first to listen to future episodes as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with Marty's Super Bowl winning coach, Bill Belichick, especially as we approach the 2019-2020 NFL season. It's amazing that it's already here. These episodes and more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. There's a shortcut to our show notes, all the talent I've recorded with, news and headlines at suitingupodcast.com. And finally, if you're up for it, give me a rating and review on Apple Pods. It helps the show grow. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.